You're listening to The Blank Page Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Patterson, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. This is a space where I get to talk to creatives, entrepreneurs, and storytellers about what it means to be on a creative path, how to deal with the high highs and the low lows, and how to stay well along the way. As a creative myself, I am no stranger to riding the roller coaster, discreetly crying on the subway slash not so discreetly crying in my car, getting in my head, focusing on results, and just not having a good time. So my hope for this show is to create a community where we can all come together, lift each other up, remind each other to have fun, and feel fortified in returning to that proverbial blank page again and again. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hi friends, happy Monday. I hope everyone's starting the week off bright-eyed and bushy-tailed post-Super Bowl. Hope people aren't too hungover. (laughs) Uh, Admittedly, I watched none of the Super Bowl and uh, was basically by myself all day. John worked an event for the Super Bowl, so I was pretty much cruising around the neighborhood and doing a lot of cooking and spring cleaning because we're kind of that, uh, we're at that point that is right in between the uh, winter solstice and the spring equinox. So I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to spring. I'm also looking forward to sharing this episode with you guys. This is such a special one. Petey Gibson... What a guy. Um, As I say in the episode, I had the pleasure of meeting him through Nika, who you all loved on here. And um, yeah, our first in-person meeting was this podcast. And so it was a little bit like how it was with Tanya, where it was like a fun first uh, friend date via podcast. And um, I gleaned a lot from this episode. So much about um, process and... um, yeah, radical acceptance. And there's so many good nuggets here. And I also just, I love the pace. I love the pace at which PD is moving through life. And I even noticed listening back to the episode, how it was contagious. And I felt myself moving in a more slow and thoughtful way while conversing with him. So I hope you guys enjoy this chill, inspiring, massively beautiful episode with Petey Gibson. All right, y'all. I'm sitting here. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm sitting. (laughs) With the amazing Petey Gibson. Oh, hi. Petey is an actor, Mm -hmm. a producer, Mm -hmm. writer, Mm -hmm. improviser. Yeah. Among many other things. Yes, and. I just learned like cats that are extraordinary. Yeah. Really, you you need your cat sit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Selfishly. <laughs> yeah, I'll come on by. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I had yeah. the good fortune of meeting Petey through Nika Izel Pappas. Ah, you guys best. know her. She was on this pod, and mm-hmm. they the movie that Nika was in, The Sympathy Card, the amazing lesbian rom com. Nika was opposite Petey, and mm-hmm. I had the pleasure of seeing it. And it was such beautiful work. So thank good. You. Yeah. Thanks. It's so scary to make a baby and put it out there and yeah like, oh, I guess people that I know are now gonna see me do this yeah it's wild yeah because you were a producer on it too right mm-hmm. so you 
did you have a hand in it from the beginning? Not from the very beginning. I was initially brought on as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of as it progressed, it was written um, and ultimately also directed and co-produced by um, Brendan Boogie, mm-hmm. who is a, a cisgender, straight, white man. Yep. And he had the sense to go, I really want to do right by this project and I am very opinionated. And so I was like, hey, here are things off the bat that like not only would feel good to me as someone who's part of this project, but also like we're crowdfunding and I, when you're crowdfunding, you want to bring people into something that they really believe in and they really feel excited about. And I was like, that means that the queer community is going to want to see this. And like, we want to make a product that is really like inclusive rather than like just catering towards an audience. Like Mm -hmm. I think queer or like minority filmmaking has to be really thoughtful because you're making it for people that are like really want to see themselves on screen. And yeah. um, So yeah. So I ended up coming on as a, as a producer and sort of a queer eye. Was it your first time producing? It was my first time producing something of that magnitude. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I did. I like co-produced um, a web series that I did. And I've been like a live producer. I've I've done like, that's where I got started was on the stage doing variety shows and oh, yeah. vaudeville. And I yeah. used to produce burlesque shows. So I know how to corral a lot of people without a lot of budget to make a thing happen that I have in my head but being a feature length indie film producer is I was like literally googling my job I was like Brendan's like hey can you do this thing and I was like absolutely I'm like I don't even know what those words on top of giving like a beautiful heartfelt intense (laughs) performance like that must have been a a crazy period of time in your life to be working on that it was it was also my biggest role by far to date yeah to be a lead in a feature-length film was you know I've mostly done like five lines on a TV show you carried that shit so thanks dude yeah thanks I feel really good it was um it was also I'm a trans man and it was my last like female role so it's kind of amazing to like have the biggest thing that I've done that people will see forever like I now I watch it back and it's I love it and it's beautiful and it in some ways it's like a little hard to see myself like in a former way where I wasn't like fully comfortable but I it's nice to go out with a bang yeah like all right I'm literally making a lesbian rom-com that's like the dream so oh that's amazing yeah it's cool well I love starting these interviews with compliments and I already you know (sighs) sort of gave you some but I mean truly your work was so beautiful and (laughs) I mean, I've heard nothing but amazing things from Nika and anyone who Nika loves. I'm just like, yes, please. And in our little bit of time off mic, I'm just like, you're such a great, like gregarious person, so open. And I've been so excited to talk to you and even on your social media presence. I mean, social media is its own thing, but Mm -hmm. I appreciate your candor and and you sharing Mm. your journey in a really nice way. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm blushing for all of you. <laughs> I uh yeah, I mean I think I think when you're a queer person or a minority or whatever, your identity like 
the way that you live in the world has to inherently and without your consent be also that of an educator. Mm. And it's exhausting sometimes because I'm often the only trans person that people know and there's responsibility. It's like if I have a bad day and I'm a dickhead, then that sort of is like trans people are dickheads. The, 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 the translation is so A to B when you're yeah. like the only one of that, you know, it's yeah. sort of so there's a lot of responsibility, but also I'm like a pretty easygoing, like fun loving person. And so when I have the like capacity to mm-hmm. do it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to share things that are happening. And I often get a lot of feedback from people that like I am the only trans person that they know. They go, yeah. oh, thank you for telling me this stuff. I wouldn't know. And so sometimes it's like when I can do it, I do because all of us have to do it. So it kind of like alleviates somebody else having to do that work. Yeah. But that is a lot. It is. But then the next time they meet a trans person, they go, oh, I have a base of knowledge. And then they don't bother that person. So really it's, you know, the children of the future. Yeah. So Good. true. <laughs> Got to set it up for them to just soar. I'm like, let me, let me tell you about top surgery oh my so that you know. Well, speaking of the children, oh, I the love children. starting these interviews talking about tiny PD and what are your earliest memories of being (laughs) creative and being a creative person and having Mm. that impulse was it always something that you knew you wanted to do professionally or I mean all kids are just so deliciously creative I love hearing people's memories of they truly are my very first role was as the brown cow in a church play oh my god yeah I sang the song was like <clears throat> my singing voice has changed, so I don't even know if, what the notes will be, but it was like, <laughs> I am the cow all white and red. Oh, I yeah. gave him my major for whatever the fuck that stupid church song was. But uh, I said the cow, that one? Yeah, it's so, I, yes, <laughs> I don't even know. Christmas. But I loved it. But I had a really hard time. I did like, um, drama club in high school and I loved it and I was like these are my people I found my people I love it I've still talked to my drama director now as like uh it'll never be as a friendship because I'm always like hey Mr. Sullivan I was like (laughs) same with mine I'm like do I call him by his first name now or what's happening Uh, yeah that just forever it's like Mr. Newman Mm -hmm. so hilarious but I had really really bad stage fright so every single time we would have auditions, even though I knew everybody in the room and I was yeah. part of the thing, we always did musicals and I could sing, but my stage fright would, I would close up. I so I happened. never really got roles. Mm. It was more like somebody who was in the background. The biggest role that I had, I, I was um, Glinda the Good Witch. Mm which I love. Yeah. But a lot of the roles I was like given because the musical director, Chris Hill and Mr. John Sullivan, like knew what I could do. Right. But it, I so was So did they really, look past your bad auditioning? They had to have, because there's no way I would have booked something where I was singing. I was like shaking like a leaf. It's so, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's such a different skill set. It is. I had to really learn it. And then I, after high school, I became, in my early 20s, I became a drag king. So good. Yeah, it was yeah. the best. And that audition, I had stage fright. And then before my first show, I was dry heaving backstage. I was oh. so scared. But it's almost like a part of the 10,000 hours sort yeah. of a thing where it's like I just forced myself to do it. You have to get the stamina. You have mm-hmm. to get the whatever it is, the, the skill set mm-hmm. to 
It really is just because it's like I knew I could do it in my mind and I knew I wanted to do it in my heart, but I was like a chihuahua. Like I just, I really, that's really touching to me to think of, (laughs) of, of auditioning or, or getting over your nerves or getting over your fears as part of your 10,000 hours. Like that's the work. It is. And I don't know, I guess I've never thought of it that way. And it's, it's really moving. And like, I'm taking class with an amazing Megan Ketch who was on this podcast also, but I'm taking class with her and she always says, acting is so noble. Performing is so noble. And that is, I mean, getting over that part of it is like facing fears. It's crazy. Yeah, I'll be honest. I sometimes struggle with the like, <laughs> with the way that actors talk about acting. Like, oh, of course. I, I get that. I really am like, mm. you're like, you're just playing pretend. Just relax. Yeah, like there is part of me and I'm like, you know, I'm someone who like self-examines a lot. So I'm like, is that imposter syndrome? Is that like internalized like I think I'm a piece of shit or like is it real and like but I do think you know what I consistently settle on is that entertainment is such an important part of our lives like we do at the end of the day sit and want to like rejoin our characters that we know on tv and I think it provides this like balm or this healing I think that like laughter is really important so when someone's like you know, oh, you're a comedian. I feel really proud because I'm like, yes. There's Shakespeare. Oh, man. Hi. Look at this cat. <laughs> he is like oh my a dog. God. He's a lover boy. Yes. Bring it to me. Go but I think like there's so, there's something so gorgeously human about like, I do stand up too. Oh, yeah. I want to get into that. Yeah. And um, about being in a room Mm-hmm. And everybody sort of like chose to come there. Yeah. They actively made a decision that like, this is the experience that I want to have tonight. And you're standing there in whatever the venue is, because there's always three parts. There's the room and the audience and the performance. And so it's like, this is the room and these are the people. And here's what I'm saying to you. And when you leave, like, you know, a piece of me and you've laughed and you've let off a piece of like, you listened to the impeachment for 10 hours today. Like literally the least I can do is like make you laugh. And yeah. So I don't think that's noble, but I do think it's. It has its place. Socially important. Yeah. My dad always said, you know, my, I don't come from a super artsy family, but my dad was like, well, the, no matter what happens, like in terms of the economy or whatever, like entertainment and alcohol will always be. <laughs> necessary so it is kind of nice to be like well at least I'm in a profession where people are always gonna crave that and want it right and you're gonna want to do it whether or not there's like a financial reward yes like it's ideal and you'll yeah have to figure it out but but yeah I think it's a drive that I don't know like if accountants would be accountants if it wasn't what they were doing but I think for me as a creator like I will create stuff forever yeah isn't it interesting that we no offense accountants out no there. i mean but I, right. I don't even understand money at all so thank you <laughs> i feel service. like it is it is interesting to be a part of um an industry and in a job that is also like what you do for your like health and human expression <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like it's yeah. very there's like this duality to it that uh, it's taken me years to 
I feel like make peace with. So yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, it it then means that like you have to when they talk about like doing the work, it also means so much personal work oh, because God. you can't be a mess while also trying to do a comedic role. No. Or, you know, whatever it has to, you have to consistently like feed your soul so that you can give away pieces of that. Because if you're not filling that cup and you're trying to give it away to audiences, like you're, you're slowly killing yourself. That's too real. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. open this thing. So do just, it. Sorry. Do I'm, it. I'm addicted to nicotine mints right now. You know? We're always choosing the lesser of, t- you of know? the evils. You it know? Is I don't drink anymore. I'm trying not, you know, just... Let me have this page. Let me have this. <laughs> Enjoy your mint. Thank you so Enjoy much. Enjoy the shit out of that. Thank you. So you played Glinda the Good Witch. You played the cow. And those are the good memories. Oh, my God. I played, um, oh, fucking what's her name? Fruma Sarah in Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> I was on a pulley system. We had this, like, state-of-the-art theater at Barnstable High School on the Cape, um, Cape Cod. And yeah. there was a trap door. And like it was a huge ass stage and they put me on a pulley and I was uh, for Masera is like a ghost who comes back and like yells this crazy song at people in their sleep. And um, I was under the under the stage in a pulley uh-huh. and then they would whip me up and I'd come and they'd blast a fog machine. Oh my God. So they would blast a fog machine and I'd have to like hold my breath because the first thing that Fruma Sarah does is like screams this really high pitched long scream. Oh my God. As she comes out and then it's like, what is this about your daughter marrying my husband? So it's, it was a really weird, awesome physical experience to be like dangling in the air, yelling. Oh my God. My friends. And you're from Cape Cod. Yes. Not in a rich way. Yeah. I have people hear Cape Cod and I'm like, oh. Do you know that show Hightown that's coming out? Mm-mm. It's all about Cape Cod and like the underbelly of. Is it about like the opioid crisis? Yeah. 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 I have yeah. a few friends on it actually. Really? Yeah. Two people who've been on this podcast. Let's just talk about everyone who's been on this podcast. <sighs> Perfect. This is a, this is a rehashing. Yeah. Oh my God. I was just listening to your one with um, Mary Elizabeth. Oh yeah. Whoa. What's her last Winstead. Name? Winstead. Yeah. yeah. I was listening to that this morning. That's, she's a good wee. She's a good one. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to say a goodie and a good one and I said good wee. She's a good wee. She's a good wee. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I do. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what anyone else thinks so I mean we talked about it a little (laughs) bit before um and you just mentioned it but being a creative we we really have to be so in charge of our own instrument and constantly looking at ourself and our own shit what are some Hmm. modes of of self-care of healing of whatever you use to stay in your magic and centered and grounded Ooh. Um, therapy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, love it. Have a non-binary therapist and they're just like, there's so much that doesn't need to be said. Oh, so, which so is nice. really nice. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a collaborator for sure. I'm not somebody that's like, I'm going to write the next great thing and sit in a room by myself. I, I, no, I yeah. can't. <laughs> so work. like for me, when I feel disconnected from my art, it's usually because I'm disconnected from my friends and who are like innately my collaborators. Shakespeare's really <laughs> the cat's just <laughs> hidden Petey's mic. Sorry. Yeah. Um should I g- Yeah, give him a shove. Bye-bye. Shakespeare figure it out. 
to be or not to be near this mic. Um, that's a Shakespeare <laughs> reference. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Um, so I find if I'm like disconnected from or when I am connected to people, then I it's uh, conversations naturally are like, what, what what can we make? Or I had this idea or like, what about that thing you were telling me about? And that's how most of my projects have happened has wow. been through like the web series that I did was from having lunch. Do you know Satya Baba? Mm-mm. We were in a Groundlings class together and I um, had this idea for the series and we ended up like going out to lunch. We ended up making it and he's like this amazing actor and di- he's been directing a bunch of TV and stuff lately. But, like it was this moment in time where like he was looking for something and I had kind of been like chomping on this idea for a while and it just came so much comes from just saying hey, I kind of have this thing and someone going, yeah, let's do it. So not so making sure that you're not isolating yourself is really important 100%. for you. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And do you identify, like, do you feel like you get, I mean, I know that we're all like, I hate identifying as like introvert or extrovert because we're all somewhere on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But do you feel like you get more energy from being with people? Yes. I find the older I get, I need to both, remember to recharge yeah and that also yes I really get super invigorated every time I go see a show Mm -hmm. I have an idea for a show every time I see stand-up I think of new jokes every time I see my friends do something I'm like oh you're the shit yeah 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 so I need both I definitely need both yeah yeah so staying connected Mm -hmm. and then what do you what kinds of things do you consume to stay inspired in terms of like books? Are there any like podcasts you've been enjoying? Mm. Good live shows, good TV, yeah, even food, anything. What do you consume? <laughs> consume a lot yeah. of sugar. Ugh, you know, I just um, I I consume a lot of. Um, maybe this is a dumb answer, but like I consume lately a lot of like really deep conversation with friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like naturally a very introspective person and I'm over five years sober and my sobriety I think is sort of part of my creative life. Like it has to be something that I really tend to Yeah. because if I'm not sort of well in that area, if I'm like irritable, discontent, that sort of thing, I, that becomes my focus. Yeah. And if I can like, be cool and be really like calm about it and think about like the gift of sobriety it allows me to like make stuff so yeah you know being in sobriety is like honestly like five percent not drinking and 95 percent like learning yourself and your bullshit and like tending to it so that's a thing that I consume like I have a lot of great sober friends and we'll just like sort of like talk about our our bullshit our never-ending like pit inside of us yes are filling with things other than alcohol Uh uh-huh um, I just watched all of Fleabag. Oh my God. Fuck. I'd literally been saving it because I was like, I know. I know how good it's going to be. I know how good it's going to yeah. be. And it was. And I love stuff that is really, um, like the, the writer and that, that it's a passion project and the person, um, chewing gum. Did you see chewing gum? No, I, you're like the third person Holy to tell me fuck. about this. I literally can't believe it got made. Michaela Cole is like extraordinary. Okay. I need to watch. You have to watch. It's bananas. Yeah. 
I've never seen anything like it. I can't believe it got made. I like looked her up afterwards and listened to like interviews and tried to like figure out like how it came to be. It was something like she did a very, very short version of it, like in college or something. Wow. And it's so like racy in some ways and just like really envelope pushing. And the interviewer was like, how did this TV station like push back against you? And she said, you know, they really let me do whatever I wanted. And I was like, oh, you found the right head of something because in somebody else's hands with somebody else's opinion that show could never have been what it was I feel like all that stuff is is like dating like in terms Mm -hmm. of anything in the business like reps or producers or finding your actors or whatever it really is like you gotta find the right people because plenty of people could do it of course. But it's going to be a very different experience than, it is. than you might want it to be. It is. And it's especially if it's on camera, it lives forever. Yes. So that's sort of a thing where you want to go, okay, it's not just that we have a deadline. We need to fill this. Like this exists now. Mm-hmm. Like once it's on film, that's it. So that's important. Yeah. Finding the people that sort of like boost, elevate, and yes, and your vision. Mm-hmm. Super important. Mm-hmm. I just had my life completely fucking changed mm-hmm. because I never listened to audiobooks. I've literally listened to one and it was like a Scottish romance from World War II. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> story, story for another day. <laughs> um, <laughs> he likes what he likes, okay? Um, but the it was um, Oprah Winfrey put out a book called The Path Made Clear. What? It's going to blow your fucking mind, Paige. Can't wait. You have to listen to it. You have to. And Oprah wrote it? Yes. And it is a, um, it's talking about purpose. It's talking about living a purpose driven life. Why is she so enlightened? She is, she talks about it in the book. I mean, it's crazy. Like the work that she's done in her lifetime is Mm -hmm. so incredible and the most inspiring thing. Well, she talks in the book about, um, really listening to your gut about something that like feels right and sort of not taking into consideration what like other people's version of like failure is. Like she was a a news anchor and she thought she would love it, but she didn't love it. And she, everyone told her she was terrible at it, that Mm. she would never get promoted, that she was not good on television, that she was too, you know, black and too this and too that and too, like she was too big. So much stuff with weight. Yeah. Yeah. And so she got basically like, I'm doing air quotes for you at home, but she got like, quote unquote, demoted to doing um, like human interest stories. And she interviewed like somebody, like he was like an ice cream guy or some, something. I want to say Baskin Robbins, but I don't think that's right. But anyway, she talks about in the book, reference it there. But she got demoted and by all accounts she was completely demoted to doing this thing that like no one wanted to do and nobody took seriously and nobody cared about and she left that and was like oh I found my calling yeah I want to sit across from somebody and understand what you're doing now right I want to understand like how they got where they are what they think about things what brought them to where they are and I want to learn from them yeah and that was a revolution for her because she, so the book is pretty much about like finding your calling, mm. finding your purpose, whether that's being a mom, mm-hmm. what, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't mean being Oprah. No. It means like, what is the thing that feeds you? And I listened to it two and a half times through 
and it like blew my fucking mind open. Did it give you any clarity on your own purpose? I really need to like turn the train around and focus on like what I want. I um, transitioned hormonally nine months ago and had top surgery eight months ago. So recent. So recent. And I'm 37. I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> Tell them. <laughs> Tell them. Tell them. I still go out for teenage roles and it's like me and a bunch of teenagers in the room and I'm like, do? Oh, yeah, yeah, you do look like a babe. But I have to say everyone... I know who's 37 right now. They're like killing it. Like I kind of feel like 37 is like a fulcrum age where people just mm-hmm. get like magical and they get a good dose of fuck it in their system. Yeah. You're like finally old enough to be like, oh, I actually can internalize that it. it doesn't matter what other yes. people think. I swear. I'm looking mm-hmm. around. I'm like, wow. Everyone I know who's like hitting success in varying degrees and not just like monetarily or like in terms of showing out, just like hitting a stride is 37. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful age. Good. I don't have them to look forward to. Yeah. I had a really, like, really, really, really hard personal, like, year and a half. Yeah. And part of that, I was, like, pulled back to just sort of, like, take care of myself. There was a lot of grief. There was a lot of, like, hard stuff. And so I haven't really made much in the last year. I haven't, I haven't done a ton of auditions. I haven't, I did a live show for a while. I stopped doing that. I stopped doing stand-up. I my groundlings program ended, which was like another huge like loss in a way that I didn't really like think about just a lot of like changes and endings and things. And so listening to this podcast, like a winter, winter season, it was. And so this podcast, like the clarity that I got was like, Oh, like you're safe now. Yeah. You know what you're about. Like, you know that it feels good to talk to other people. You know that like, you've made a lot of big, hard decisions that are right for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you feel like now you're in a place where you're kind of just like, not coasting, but but being able to like slowly just rebuild a little bit more? And because I feel like mm-hmm. it sounds like before you had that hard year or maybe during that hard year, you were just making decisions where you were having to like slash things or get rid of things or drop things. Oh, I was or... literally figuring out like where I was living. And yeah. Yeah. And hanging on to my sobriety. Yeah, so like, on top of in everything some ways, else. Yeah, you got to really, really dial back when there's something like that where you go, I know that I have an illness that has to be tended to. And, and then I, here are 10,000 triggers coming at me. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And now you've lost your home. And yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think that book sort of like, it was like a real like pump up talk where I was like, oh, I do have purpose and I do matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go fucking get it. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I feel, I wouldn't say I feel like I'm coasting. I, I do feel like I'm on an upswing. I'm yes. all about 2020 energy right now. Yes. Yeah. What can we hold space for you for in 2020? Do you have, I mean, I feel like everyone's moving away from like goals and resolutions, but Ooh. but what are some things that you Fun. would like to accomplish or or feel that's such a beautiful question um what is the answer to that beautiful question (laughs) we can come back to no I no I'm good I it's okay we you know we can just edit this part out yeah if we want to if we want to if we don't I say we it's you <laughs> like I'm over your shoulder being like keep it okay keep this when we get to 20 minutes 17 seconds nope 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 yeah yeah I want you to just peel back <laughs> and take it two seconds back 
Um, yeah, that's my producer. Now that I'm a producer. Ideal. I know. Yeah. I mean, so you'll never take the hat off. Head. Yep. Never. It's on my head. Yep. Um, I think this is a real time for me to get to know myself. Mm. Um, I struggle a lot with people pleasing. Me too. It's a lot of undoing for me. It's a lot of undoing. I've said it 10,000 times because we've t- pretty much the past few uh, guests have talked about people pleasing. Mm. And I've said that the thing that moved me away from it was realizing that it's manipulative. Ooh. Because you're like, oh, I want to control your perception of me. And I want to control the way that you react to me. And I want to always be considered nice and good and kind. Mm. So I'm not giving you any room to be upset with me. Interesting. And it's, so when you look at it that way, you're like, oh, okay, so I'm not doing anyone any favors. It's not like me being an asshole. (laughs) Right. Well, I think for me, I've almost thought in a a different way that I'm not doing myself any favors that I think I try so hard to be a good boy so that you will just like me that I shut down aspects of myself that maybe you won't like or you'll reject me for or you know if I say this it might be a hard conversation and it does such a disservice to if I'm with somebody and it does ultimately such a disservice to my heart Mm -hmm. that I'm I'm telling myself that like the way that you exist is too much for someone to love you. Mm. So just be good. And and it's childhood shit. It's literally chasing my dad. Yeah. It's literally like getting off the bus and trying to figure out like, will he be in a good mood or will he be in a bad mood? Like, how do I say the right thing so that everything's okay? So let me try to regulate by just right. being good. And, right. And, and it's exhausting to be 37 and to be being four. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't want to be four. Yeah. So I'm trying to like finally sh- shut that down. I'm I'm trying to say like that's enough. Like that's enough of living yeah. a story that like you tell yourself is the appropriate way to interact with mm-hmm. people. So. So that that's a lot of undoing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a daily practice. Just, uh, yeah, eating a lot of cookies, doing a lot yeah, of therapy. Truly. I feel like a turtle a lot of the time. Like I feel very slow. I, I'm trying to be really careful with my words and the way that I interact with people. So I often feel like I, it takes me three days to answer something sometimes because someone will say, well, how does that work for you? And I'll go, you know, let, let me think, about let me just think about it. And I, there's a part of me that like is in grief because I don't, I feel like, you know, quote unquote, normal people like know what the answer is to how do you feel about this? And I'm at the age where I'm going, I should know how I feel about this basic thing and I don't. So I have to kind of like rebuild, you know, having like a chaotic childhood and I know I'm estranged from my parents and there's just been a lot of like griefy, traumatic-y, relationship-y things that Mm -hmm. have happened. And so my work is to not continue that into each new person that I meet. Mm. But that means that I move so slowly rather than going yeah it's fine yeah sometimes three days later I come back and go that's totally fine because but I know that it's fine yep I don't just say that it's fine Mm -hmm. I have to sit with myself and go is it do I feel okay yeah why is this ego oh god fucking therapy dude I know once you're aware of this stuff isn't it crazy it's the worst it's like it's crazy you hear you hear your bullshit out loud and you go I'll sometimes be talking like, 
acquaintances. And I'll say something and I'll go, you know what? I don't actually mean, I just said that because I'm scared. And people are like, what? Wait, no, but that's the most magnetic thing you can do because you're holding uh, yourself accountable and you're like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to like, mm-hmm. you know, Radical you're just so honesty. in touch with like, you, you're shining the flashlight on all mm-hmm. of your bullshit and being like, oh, okay, so I just found this. I'm going to let you know I found it. Like it's yeah. so vulnerable, but it's also like so admirable. And I feel like, I really do feel mm-hmm. like the paradigm is shifting. I hope anyway, in the world, in the way that we all deal with our shadowy trauma bullshit. And I think that it, it does take like, like you're saying, being slow, being radically honest, being in radical acceptance, like mm-hmm. you were saying, yeah. but it is, it's just so different than what we've been spoon fed and what we were taught was safe and okay. That it's like, it's For all sure. day, every day work. <laughs> like, it is. And stop. people I think in their thirties and forties are, are making a decision like, do I go with what the 1950s paradigm was of like what men and women are and what is and isn't okay socially? Or do I look at Gen Z Mm -hmm. being radical, magical creatures who say, actually my pronouns are they, them Mm -hmm. and you know, da, 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 da. And I work with youth and they're, you know, from their perspective, they're looking at like generations of people who have just fucked stuff up so hard for them. They're looking at like a world that, that is dying environmentally and the ways in which, you know, we've been involved in wars their entire life, Mm -hmm. you know, and these kids are born like post nine 11. They don't, they do gun training in second grade, Mm -hmm. you know, shooter things. And it's just like, they're living in such a intense time and they have access to all the information. Like I didn't have the internet when I was their age. Right. (laughs) There I go. <laughs> and I'm 37. <laughs> but like, you know, I think <clears throat> they're, they have so much information and they have so much connection through social media. It's so true. Which is like a good and a for bad better thing. For better for us. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think, you know, we look, we can look to them and see, I think for me, what I have to do is see the world through their eyes and go, this doesn't have to be this way. Mm. Like socialism isn't a bad word, for example, Mm -hmm. or like the ways in which we look at gender, like why are they that way? The Gen Z is going, why? Mm -hmm. They're going, why? The way that like, you know, the flower power generation of like 69 sort Mm -hmm. of looked at the world and went, but why? Mm -hmm. But these kids have access to the internet. They have platforms. They're not just 15 year olds that we dismiss as, you know, oh, you're just a kid. Right. They're literally like in Davos, like talking to the world saying like, this is not okay. Yeah. So it's really amazing. It's really, really amazing because if we don't listen to what they're saying, then we are accepting a world that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not making any new decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's World War Three or maybe we actually make a change. Yeah. We'll see, right? It definitely does feel like we're in a like, Mm -hmm. could go. (laughs) Yeah. Could go either way. I know. I'm like looking at these impeachment things and I'm just like, good fucking God. So crazy. Who can say both sides are the same? Like who? It's like, it's really just like stranger than fiction. If there was a movie, if there was a script based on what was happening, 
no one would buy They'd it. Be They'd like, be this like, this is, is too obvious yeah. and dumb. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah, yeah, that would never happen. Be like, oh, he'd just say stuff out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, great plot point. Great <laughs> yeah. exposition. The president just walks out exactly. and says, I did it, and then walks away, and everyone's cool with it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> oh, man. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's It's, you know. I know we're talking about creativity, but I also think like no, but it's, it's so also many people holistic. are like, oh, it's getting political. And I'm like, the political is personal. And, you know, like, especially as a queer person, you know, it's like that was one of the final breaking points with like my parents or with really interacting with any Trump supporters is like, you are okay with these 10 things, these 50 things. Mm-hmm. And if you're okay with them, you don't respect my life as being worth like dignity right so we have nothing in common anymore and i think that like that's important that's what happened in germany in world war ii was like neighbors had to make a decision like am i cool with this because hitler like brought us some great economic boom and Mm -hmm. put in the autobahn or whatever Mm -hmm. the fuck like or do i say like ooh, this doesn't feel right this isn't quite right right like i have to push against it have you noticed how much um how much World War Two, especially like Germany, like German World War Two stuff is is present in all of the TV and film and everything right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like it's amazing. I mean, it's no accident, obviously, but it can't it can't be an accident. Yeah, it's it's um, like every trailer I feel like I see lately. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're back in Nazi Germany. Cool, 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 cool. So like, history does repeat. Yeah, itself. great, great, great. Or great, we're great, trying great, to be great. like, hey, learn from this. Don't do this again. That's I just hope crazy. So. Yeah, yeah. I hope it's not super glorifying. Mm-hmm. There's so much of that, like Greatest Generation, or you know, that sort of like. I know. It's crazy. So what do you feel like is the biggest hindrance to your creativity? Um, my, um, procrastination. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like procrastination because like, I don't think I'm capable. I just, I'll sit, I'll make a to-do list. I'll be like, you got this, baby. You're going to do it. And then I turn on The Office and I watch season three of The Office for like the 500th time. Uh And in my mind, I go, no, this is good because like this is a perfect television show. And so this will aid your writing and this is character work. And like, let's look at the mannerisms that Steve Carell (laughs) uses. But I'm like, no, I'm using this as an excuse to like do nothing. (laughs) It's amazing the lies we can tell ourselves. Dude, last month, I think it was last month's horoscope. Channy Nicholas was talking about. I do you love Channy? Love Nicholas? her. Do you have the book? I haven't read the book yet. I'm dying to get it. My best friend texted me the other day and was like, "Hey, I'm buying you Channy's book, dude. I can't fucking wait. I just love her so much, and I I just think I love listening to her in interviews and stuff because she speaking of people pleasing is just so not that, mm-hmm. and not even in a way that is like bristling or anything. But someone will, you know, um sort of like identify for her something that sh- that they think she is and she'll be like actually I don't like to use that word I, I I'm actually not an activist you know what I mean Ooh, and she'll I just need like to listen to her interviews so then. good no she's like they, they were like you're an activist she's like nope I'm not actually my wife is an activist I don't identify as an activist Ugh, but like not in a way shit. that anyone's like oh ooh. it's not rude it's just like no I'm just not that isn't it amazing when you watch people do the thing that you're so afraid of and yes. you realize it's not an issue no big deal it pisses me off. Even for myself <laughs> recently, I've realized like, okay, like, 
just, I think that we don't, we take for granted what we are inherently. Mm. Like inherently, none of us are really assholes, you know? So like if you're just speaking from your truth and you're going to make a request of somebody or you're going to kind of like cut off a relationship or whatever, I find that most people aren't upset. They're like, oh, okay. And it takes Intention me like everything. five months mm-hmm. to get up the gumption to have a conversation. And then I do and I'm like, why was I so terrified? Right. Anyways, Chenny Nicholas, she said last month for, I think it was the Leo, Leo rising horoscope. She was like, like procrastination is sacred. Don't, uh, don't write it off this month. And I was like, Thank you. Leo Leo rising. Um, But I was like, oh, okay. And it it did ring true this month that I was like, if I am procrastinating, like really look at it and see if maybe that is the roundabout way into the work. But a lot of the time, you're right. I am like, okay, I'm just um, Mm -hmm. trying to escape some things. Yeah, it is a balance because I often like the way that I write. And once I discovered that it was the way that I wrote and Mm -hmm. it wasn't something to like have shame about because it's like I have this ridiculous like idea in my head that like writers are people who like wake up, they pour coffee, they sit down, they sit at their computer, they write for eight hours, Mm -hmm. they go for a walk and they go to bed. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how many people actually fucking do that? Because the way that I do it is I will chomp on an idea Uh for a week, three months, two years, whatever it is. And then I can sit and I can write it almost in full. So I did that. I wrote a pilot and I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And then I sat down and I just wrote 21 pages. Wow. And I've gone back and like done like editing tweaks. But for the most part, it comes out fully formed until someone else gets their hands on it and changes everything. But like... Was it just that project or do you find that that's your pattern for most work. that's my pattern for most work so that's kind of liberating to realize that. yeah like I do stand up but it's in some ways like more storytelling like someone will be like tell me a joke I'll be like I actually have no jokes I can't I don't do one-liners and at first I thought well I can't be a stand-up stand-up so is it personal like your stand-up is more like per like comes from your person like yeah I just, you're not like writing a yuck yuck you're like no I I don't have the time for it that's what I realized uh we what I watched with Nika the Jenny Slate on Netflix. I, I'm also saving that because I know that I'm going to savor the shit out of it. Yeah, you'll love it. Ugh, I hope you'll love it. Love but anyway, it. my husband loves her too, like has a crush on her. And we sat down to watch it and I was so excited to share it with him. And he was like, I don't think it's funny. And I was like, what? Wow. And he was like, no, I like her. And I was like, that's because she's not telling jokes. They're mm-hmm. not jokes. It's like right. some stand up and I'm re- I'm here for that. I like that stand up that is like this is something that only I as this person could share and so me sharing these stories is so authentic that it's funny. Yeah. Instead of Tignataro does that. Yes, exactly. I've watched Tignataro do, you know, 15 minutes and it's one story. Right. And that's that's point of view and that's and people want that and like, you know, <laughs> It's hard to be trans and it's also like beautifully niche. And so I can easily get up and do seven minutes on like what it is like to be 37 and 17 at the exact same time. Oh and, my people, God. and people are just like, oh shit, I'd never considered that insanity. And wait, it's, that's amazing. It's fucking wild because it's like my body is old and, and, and wants to just like settle and drink tea and watch The Office. And then my hormones are like, let's do parkour and 
and just hump stuff yeah. and let's eat like 10,000 calories right now. Yeah. I'm like a 17-year-old boy in a 37-year-old body. Wow. I know. It's really, it's fucking wild. And it's wild to... That's a sacred experience mm-hmm. right there. It is. It's like living many lives. Mm-hmm. Dual, real dual. Holy shit. And it's a the work of undoing in terms of I was socialized female. Mm-hmm. And I sort of talk about on stage, like, I'm really excited that I was socialized as a female because, like, I understand, like, manners and picking up after myself. Yeah. Like, thank God yeah. I was given, you know, that people said, like, you're a girl and so you have to learn how to be a human. Mm-hmm. No offense to all the cisgender men out there, but I, we, raise chil- we raise children very differently according yeah. to gender. And so I'm very excited, but in some ways I have to undo it because I get misgendered if like I'm too friendly or I'm too caring because those are feminine qualities that people read. So if I see a baby and I'm like, look at this sweet thing, da, 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 and I'm talking to a baby, the mom will be like, well, lady, it was really nice to meet you. And I'm like, okay, cool. But if I sort of scowl and stay back, people are like, sir, do you need anything? It's hard because my intrinsic nature is sort of, childlike and loving yeah. and and so I wonder how much of my self do I betray so that I also cannot have to deal with being misgendered because that sometimes affects me like very very deeply and it's really dysphoric yeah to have a 20 minute conversation with someone at the end of it they go all right lady it was great talking to you and I'm like what oh my god yeah so that makes me think of like how much is it's such just an learned out-of-body performance. Mm-hmm. Like how much of what we're identified as is just learned performance. Totally. Totally. Wow. And so to have to shift that mm-hmm. so that you can be properly identified and seen as what you are. Yep. I have learned how to like stand differently or um, I was a big like hand talker and I do that less mm. because it is a flag. Of, and not that in, there's anything wrong with being a woman and like it's part of why I waited so long to transition is because I love being around women. I love being in women's only spaces. And so I kept telling myself like, no, you're not trans. Like, I didn't have any male friends. I don't talk to my father. Like I really don't associate with men. And it was a very confusing thought to feel like I'm in the wrong body I'm doing the wrong thing but I was like kind of a man-hating lesbian so I was like how can I possibly want to like wow. be how can how can something inside me know that this thing that I love is just not right for me hmm. and so it's weird to try to learn like how men are how many years did it take for you to to reconcile with that mm, it's probably life's work stuff yeah And I don't really have the story like, you know, some trans people are like three years old and they know they're in the wrong body. And I don't identify with that at all. Like I really loved being a little girl. um, And I feel like I'm a very, very sensitive soul. And Mm -hmm. I think it really like thank God in my family that I wasn't a little boy because I think it would have been sort of um, squashed out of me a little bit. Yeah. You know, I. I, So you can appreciate what mm -hmm. was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I really, I loved coming out as a gay woman. Um, I loved like dating women in a queer relationship. I loved being in women-only spaces. I was a drag king for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like 
for me, it was like a really beautiful part. And I don't feel like I wish I'd transitioned earlier. Like, I think I, I think I'm a slow person. Like, I think I just do things really slowly and discover things about myself really slowly. And I, once I realized that I was like, I have to be okay with it. So liberating. It is. Somebody said something in my early sobriety. They said, um, it's like you're sort of chained to a, like the back of a pickup truck Mm -hmm. and the truck is moving slowly, but the truck is moving and you can either walk alongside the truck and look at the view or you can be dragged down the street, but either way the truck is moving. Mm. And it really is something that I think about all the time. Like life is moving. Things are happening. So much happens outside of our control. Other people's reactions, auditions not going the way you want them to, a project that you think is happening, falling through because the venue booked their friend instead. Like you might have been perfect for the role, but you don't have the right hair color. Like there's so much that you have to be in radical acceptance about that for me, I think, okay, it's part of the journey. I say that to myself all the time. Well, this is just part of it. Yeah. There's no way to go back and say, I regret that relationship or I regret you can learn to do things differently you can learn lessons from things but I try I try to think like all right like I can either let myself be dragged or I can say okay this is happening like what's beautiful about it Ugh, yeah and sometimes what's beautiful about it is just really hard I went through a divorce and I'm the most horrifying just horrifying and it really dismantles like every part of yourself and I still would say that is the path that it took. I can't regret meeting this person. I can't regret proposing. I can't regret what was a beautiful wedding weekend. I have to know that now, you know, 17 months later that like I was able to transition because I was suddenly left with like, all right, if I don't care what my wife thinks and I don't care what other people think and I have all the things that I thought I would have, I don't have anymore. Like, what do I want? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't know that I would have done it otherwise. It gave you space. It gave me space. Probably terrifying space Mm -hmm. initially, but space. Well, it allowed me to have the performance that I did in the sympathy card. That's so good. Because part of my role was, you know, somebody who was looking at their wife and having marital troubles and saying, you know, I can't, I can't do this, but with actions, not with words. It Mm -hmm. wasn't that type of fight. But, you know, and it was able, I'm mostly a comedian and it's the most serious role I've ever done. And there's comedy and it's rom-com, but it is, there is a lot of darkness and a lot of depth. And I think like I, there were, there was one day me and Nico were filming. We had a scene where we fought in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and our director like knew all about Nika knew, like I was just a mess sometimes. And it, I knew it was going to be a really like close to the bone scene and before the director was like, look, if we need to cut and take a break, like, just tell me. And I, the, the scene always ended with me like sort of crying or like welling up with tears. And I did it like two or three times. And I went, I need a fucking second because yeah. it was so brutal. You know, it just that it that is being an actor. It has to be. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has to your you booking it is because like there is something that you are bringing. Yes. So, yeah, you know, That's this amazing. makes it sound like I'm happy that my divorce happened. Let's be no, clear. No, yeah. Not at all. 
What are you doing? I just it like went on the screensaver and I gotta I gotta watch it. Oh, fuck. <laughs> smart. That's diligence. I know, you know. I should just leave it open. Um okay. I feel like there was another question that I had for you. <laughs> I wonder what it is. Oh. So many people who come on the show and so many people just in general these days who are creatives are hyphenates in so many ways. And we mm. talked a little bit about the, at the beginning about all the different hats you wear and all the different things you do. Um, do you find it to be difficult to balance so many different creative outlets or do you find that they feed into each other? Um, is there some that feel or are there some that feel like they want to take more precedence this year or not or hmm. well I feel they they have to coexist I just can't it's it's very hard for me to be like just an actor mm -hmm. and that's another thing that I examine like am I just trying to run the show or whatever no. you know but I think like you start to have a lot of experience and you see something not working on set and you go god I wish I I wish I could say something. Yeah. I wish I could. You know, it's sort of hard to be someone who's... But a lot of the projects that I've done have been, like, creative. I I haven't done a ton of stuff that is other people's things where I'm just purely, like, a hired actor. Mm. You know, and a lot of that is because I come from live performance mm -hmm. where I write a show or I book variety performers on a show and I host it, I produce it, I'm selling tickets to the show, you know, I'm first one in, last one out. Mm -hmm. I'm just, that's sort of... You're the muscle. That's my knowledge. Yeah. I didn't go to school for acting. So that, for me, I don't necessarily think like an actor. I think like somebody who wants to create an amazing experience for people. Yeah, that's That's my so training. Cool. It's yeah. like on the ground training. Yeah. So, so then... Have you had, you've, you haven't had any where you were just like an actor for hire experiences? I have. I'm curious how that, how that must've felt after having more power. I mean, which is also a whole other exhausting thing right. being in charge of so much, but were you like, what the hell? Why aren't things run this way? Well, in some ways it's like great. I've had. <laughs> You're like, cool. I'll just have this tea <laughs> yep. and uh, come get me when you need me. Bye. Yeah. There's, there's three that I'm thinking of. I got to, um, do Broad City in the final season. I loved it. Oh my God. <laughs> it was, what a fucking masterclass. I was very starstruck that you were on Broad City. I was starstruck that I was on Broad City. Yeah. I flew myself out there with three days notice. Hell like yeah. I literally Local hire, what's up? Hi. paid <laughs> to be on yeah. Broad City when all <laughs> said and done financially. But yeah, I um that was such a masterclass in watching the way that Abby and Alana work. Um we got to improvise a lot. And it, it's really hard because after it came out, they cut a lot of what we had done. Mm -hmm. Um and that was really tough because mm -hmm. like I was on set for eight hours and like I got to really improvise with Alana there was a point at which like I was holding her in my arms and she's sobbing and I'm rubbing her face and like talking to her and like you know you have to be in radical acceptance about like what we cut for time and how we tell the yeah. story and like so many things that are have nothing to do with you or the heads of it or the writers or the director mm -hmm. you know it might be the editor going we need to lose 10 seconds mm -hmm. so bye yep Oh, 
Earl Grey is currently uh, slinking under the entertainment center to get one of his Mylar balls. Anyway. Jesus. So, so it was a master class. It was an absolute master class in watching them go cut and then Abby going, what if we said this instead of this? And Alana going, oh yeah, what if we did this? And, the, you know, like, so they work in a way that like would be my dream I was going to say that must be so dope for you because you're just like the collaboration king. And I got to see that that's possible. That Mm -hmm. it's not just like a writer's room and then you get and everything gets sterilized or everything gets changed that they... I got on set and they both separately were like, we really loved your tape. Because I auditioned for a smaller role and they ended up coming back and asking me to audition for the larger role. The best. And it was from them like they have an actual hand in the casting. And yeah. so that was what they said was like, we really loved your tape. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck are I you doing know. looking at my tape from LA so for a bit doing part? It. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I now am seeing an action the way that like if I ever have a show, like I will, mm-hmm. I know that this is plausible. Yeah. That was great. I had, I did um very, very minor thing on Grace and Frankie. How was that? Amazing. Yeah. I was so... Does that shoot on Paramount a lot? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was so fucked up right before it because I couldn't decide whether it would be better or worse to meet Lily and Jane. And I they ended up not being on set that day. My scene was with Martin, and um, which was amazing. Him and I, like, strolled around a little bit and talked about like sobriety and like had really good like deep conversation it was really beautiful i love when the good ones are actually good people yes martin sheen good one exactly how he seems really we talked about like his catholicism and how he reconciles it with like his politics which are progressive and oh it was deep wow it was deep and so that was great because i got to like be paid really well be fed really well, mm-hmm. be in a really cool trailer, mm-hmm. have like three lines so I didn't have to worry. But you just get to be and, I just and got see to it be. all. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Since I moved to LA, I've like definitely done smaller stuff than what I was doing in New York. I mean, I went through a three-year nothing slump, which is a whole other journey. Mm-hmm. But it's been so cool. I feel like the experiences I've had where when you are doing something smaller, you really do just get to take in. And, and a lot of the stuff that I've been doing has been with bigger people than I was working with. Great. So me doing something small with someone bigger and I'm like, oh my God, it's just a gift to, to accept that and be like, oh my God, this is just a day for me to watch. And, yeah. and take the fear out of, take the fear out, take the expectations mm-hmm. out where you get on set and you go, oh, like this isn't, I think a lot of acting in LA feels like actors trying to like sell themselves or beg themselves onto a set pd and it's couldn't be further from the truth i have been going through my own thing with the waiting rooms out here Mm. i was very lucky and i was super well integrated in new york and like had really genuine lovely relationships with casting out there and loved auditioning now you know most things are tapes I'm sure you find that also there's Mm -hmm. just so many tapes these days but going into rooms out here I'm like oh my god I'm not enjoying it because the waiting rooms are just balls of stress in a way that New York was not I feel like there's so much more like we have our feet on the ground like we've all done this we've all done like you're saying like we've we've done the things in in the basement we've made our own work yeah 
Whereas in LA, I'm just getting this vibe that it is what you're saying. It's this like desperate, let me sell myself, let me compete and freak. And I'm like, what yeah, is this? Why is. is this LA desperate energy? Like, and, and I'm upset it's, that it's affecting me. It's false competition. Is you're all. not competing with anyone. Yeah, you're not. You're competing with yourself to feel mm-hmm. good. Like, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Like, yeah. An- another great thing about being like a niche performer as a trans man mm-hmm. is that I know everyone. I go into the cast room with the same six trans guys. We're friends you outside of buds? here. Yeah. We're all friends. And like, one of us is Indian. <laughs> one of us is Latinx. Like, one of us is super tall. You know, so it's like. So you're like, it's nothing personal. If they're going to go with you, they're certainly right. not going to go with me. And like, I made a decision to always like look at everyone in the room and smile at them. And when I leave, you know, after I do my audition, I walk back through the casting room. I go, one of us is going to book it. Have an awesome day. And I leave and I say that almost every single time. It's the truth. Because the truth is that like one of the trans men in that room is going to book this role. And it would be fucking great if it were me. Right. But if it's not like we really all do pull each other up. Like I know if I ever get a broad city show, I already have a list of like who I would hire, yep. who I would work with. And I was going to say, it, I want to see all of you guys on the show. Right. And that's like, I want to see I, that waiting room on a show. Totally. The pilot that I've written, like includes a bunch of trans men. It's like about like a group of trans men living in Los Angeles. And yes. I think like, we'll all do it. I, when I was in Boston, one of my friends was Faith Soloway. Jill Soloway's sister who created Transparent. Mm-hmm. And when I moved out here, I, um, Faith put me in touch with Jill and I got like a bit role on Transparent mm-hmm. because the... Oh my God. Oh. He's really, he's really showing out for you. <laughs> so slutty. Trying to impress him or what? Yep. But like, because Faith knew me, knew my work at that time, there wasn't like a ton of like out trans people and Transparent was trying to be like, all right, where are the trans people? Let's put them in front of them behind the camera. Yeah. And it was just even however many years ago, eight years or whatever, it was like very different, so, very, very different landscape for trans actors. Yes. And, you know. I Even my breakdowns lately, I just, I can't remember. I talked about this with my friend Gina, but my breakdowns are now can play female ages, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's so nice. It is. Like, I got my fir- first audition for a non-specific trans man. It was just a male role. It was so weird. I was in the audition room with like a bunch of dudes, like cisgender dudes. That's exciting. I did not say one of us will book it. <laughs> I'm now realizing. Well, I mean, it's a different, uh, still, different still landscape. Still kind of a man-hating lens in my mind. Oh, was, man. But. I was like, no, I, I do want to book this this role that doesn't yeah. specify it. Because almost everything is like, you're trans, you're non-binary. And like that informs the entire character mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the personality of the characters that they're trans. Right. And this was like a nurse or a something. Like yeah. it had nothing to do with, I think it was, I don't even fucking remember what it was. Yeah. Nika taught me that is that you leave an audition. Nika will, I don't know if you know this, but Nika, when she leaves an audition, she takes her sides and she tears them in half and she throws them away. Oh, I throw them away immediately too. I started doing that when I met Nika because I was like, oh, it's a way to sort of release it. It's a physical release of Mm -hmm. like, I'm done, bye. Yep. Yeah. I learned this thing in a very short amount of time. I did my best. Mm -hmm. We have to believe we're doing our best. Yes. In every aspect of our lives, I often am like, I'm doing my best. And sometimes like I'm sitting and I'm eating ice cream, 
but why am I going to put shame on that? I know. But I'm going to eat it either way. Like, yeah. fucking enjoy it. Why don't I be here now? Be here now, baby. It's babies. so true. I used to have big issues. I feel like I, a lot of what I went through with auditioning and stuff was just like this deep period of like loneliness and sadness and anger. And it was because like I was like sad when it was over because I had put all this energy into mm-hmm. it. And so now, yeah, I do try to find like rituals to, yeah, throw the sides away. And then like if there is, I try to remind myself like that was a really, really big inhale. So like what's the exhale afterward? Mm, Like, you know, like when I go home, do I need to like remain strung out and scroll Instagram or do I maybe need to like go do something slow and nice and like eat ice cream, enjoy something, Mm -hmm. take something in after you just gave. I don't know, but it. Well, and for me, it's always remembering that like, that's not necessarily my end goal. And in some right. ways it would be easier if I had, like, there are some people who are like, I want to be a writer on the tonight show and like, yeah. I'm going to put everything. But for me, I have so many different hats and so many things and some stuff that's super fulfilling doesn't include me as like an actor at all. It's looking at what my friends are doing and going, how can I help you make this? Right. So that's, that circles back to the que- the earlier question, which is like, Yeah. It can be really fulfilling to mm-hmm. to be a multi-hyphenate and to have multiple outlets. Because right. I'm not hanging my happiness on the outcome of that audition. Mm-hmm. I can call a friend and say, hey, how's your day going? I know that like your grandmother died recently. Like, how have you been? Mm-hmm. Because to me, like that is intrinsic to my happiness, mm-hmm. not booking these five lines on this CBS show. Yeah. In some ways, it almost is a financial urge. Yeah rather than because the rest of it I do have to look at like is ego like it would be great to say like I booked this thing and I booked this thing and I that took me three years to realize (laughs) yeah you have to you have to be really cognizant as an actor especially Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles of of your ego and because it feeds your your motivation yeah and there's it's just not sustainable though it's not feels like it is but it's it sure isn't it's not and you know like Entertainment is part of the dialogue. And Mm -hmm. so, like, I booked um, something several years ago on Two Broke Girls. Mm -hmm. And it was super offensive to trans people. Mm. But I booked Two Broke Girls. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I'll get to do this thing. And, like, it'll be great. And it'll be fine. Like, Two Broke Girls makes fun of everybody. Mm -hmm. And, like, I justified all these things in my head. Mm -hmm. And then... It got cut and I breathed the biggest sigh of relief because I thought forever all the people that I know that I tell it gets better or the children whose like mental health I help foster into being like you deserve to exist in a beautiful way in this world. Mm -hmm. I then would go on a TV show and like do something shitty. Mm. So once I did that and thank God it was cut, it was their cold open and they, thank God. Yeah. Yep. But ever since then, I'm like, I'm just not even going to take the audition. Yeah. If it's offensive or if it's just like another trans person being murdered or if it's like a show full of white people talking about their bullshit, like, fuck that. Yeah. That already exists. Yeah. That's not, that doesn't need to include who, who I am, what I have to give as a person is not benefiting in any way from keeping a dialogue going that's toxic. Mm. So. Yeah. You know, making choices. Yes, exactly. What do you, how do you want people to feel 
being around you. I feel like even just in the little time I've spent with you, you're so empathetic and kind and uh. very conscious of the energy that you put out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, empathy is such a double-edged sword sometimes. Yeah. Because you really take on other people's It's stuff. like boundaries versus empathy. Man, <laughs> like, boundaries. Boundaries 2020. I mean, boundaries 2020. <laughs> Too real. <laughs> Ugh. We're all doing our best. Yeah, we are. I want people to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Mechanical. You've made Earl Grey feel very safe to yeah. be himself today. But I think, I think safety doesn't get enough credence and I think safety is weaponized by the far right you know mm-hmm. like that they talk about like snowflakes and safe spaces and they ridicule it as something that is for babies mm-hmm. and like one we are all like our baby selves <sighs> and like we carry into our adulthood things that happened when we were little mm-hmm. and like we do require safety because safety leads to vulnerability it leads to happiness it leads to human connection it leads to if somebody feels safe with you then they can also share parts of themselves Mm -hmm. and if they can share parts of themselves then they can they can be a version of themselves I believe that they are really proud of yeah so not that that's my work I think that's everybody's work but I think fear is in some ways the the most the largest motivator Mm -hmm. it's gotten us to where we are politically it informs so much of what we do in like a micro sense and in a macro sense Mm -hmm. and so if you can help somebody else feel safe enough to like put their shoulders down to feel like there's room for them to exist in all their bullshit and in all their dreams then that there can't be anything more beautiful yeah i think I think you're uh-huh. right. I agree with that. Who's to say? Okay, rapid. Motherfucking <sighs> fire. Oh my God, I'm so nervous. What is your favorite meal in Los Angeles? Ooh. Oh, fuck. Me. You, can, you can give a few. Oh my God. I bet you have some good racks. Okay, wait, give me one second to think. You've thoughts. lived here a while. I, I have. I know, I'm like, I, you like talk about how beautiful it is you've learned that you're slow and i'm like go i know rapid rapid fire is like a nightmare for me no i have a really bad memory too and i sometimes will just be like i am blank i don't don't know know. um i work at kitchen mouse and the food there is like truly exceptional Mm -hmm. so shout out to my job that also is like some of the best food in Mm -hmm. la um what do i crave there is a place in eagle rock called chateau lemongrass that does um, pho that is fucking ridiculous. Yes. Wordplay. I need that. Um, it's really good. I haven't found my pho here yet. Chateau Lemongrass. Okay. Filet mignon pho. Yes. Fucking killer. Oh, fucking killer. That sounds amazing right now. I used to work at a place called The Village Idiot on Melrose. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, why do I know that? Yeah, really, really good. The best hot chocolate, big hot chocolate connoisseur, um, Cafe Tropical on Sunset. Why do I feel it's like, like I've driven cu- by that? It's many like times. a Cuban um, cafe. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh huh. Silver they, Lake. They do really good hot chocolate there. It's such a cute little joint. It Tiny. is. They have AA meetings in the back, 
which is how I know that place. I got sober in the back of no way. Um, Cafe Tropical. So I would, in the more I'd go to 8.30 a.m. meeting. Someone would pick me up at 7.45. Uh-huh. They'd bring me to the meeting. I'd order a hot chocolate. I'd sit in the meeting. So it's also this sort of memory of making a different it's choice. A healing hot sobriety. chocolate. Yeah. I love that. Dump cinnamon in it. Fucking kill Ugh. Mm-hmm. So you don't, do you not drink coffee? I don't drink coffee. I don't drink alcohol. I can't have gluten. Mm-hmm. So, do you take tea? Yeah. How do you take your tea? I will drink um, Earl Grey or Jasmine Green just straight, unless I'm missing my mom, whom I'm estranged from. Mm -hmm. And then I will have um, black tea with sugar and milk. Mm. And I listen to um, Linda Ronstadt and I drink tea the way that my mom drinks tea. And I let myself be really sad. I haven't. I can't wait. I loved it. I loved it. I love. I loved every second. Highly recommended. So good. I think it's on Hulu now. Um, when you were a kid and you rented videos, did you rent videos as a kid? Oh, Blockbuster. Of yeah. course, Blockbuster was life. Yep. What were like the three videotapes that you just kept going for again and again? Ooh, The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Yeah, this is so good. I'm like, seashell um, pillows. <laughs> yes, exactly. Still love it. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, that's and kind of been one across the board when I ask this question. Everyone says Mrs. Doubtfire. Really? Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. And maybe the labyrinth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Forget about the baby. Um, <laughs> Come inside. Meet the missus. <laughs> so cute. That little wormy. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book? I mean, it's a big question. Maybe we need three because there are so many different genres. Yikes. Favorite book. Yeah. Um, just edit out all this dead space. Okay. Great. Done. Um, you know, a book I really love is a book by Sarah Waters called Tipping the Velvet. And it follows this um, uh, lesbian drag king, turn of the century London. And it pretty much just has everything I could ever want. Like, she's in all these theaters. She's a male impersonator. When was this written? um, Ten. Oh, my God. I want to read this. Really good. Sounds like a miniseries waiting to happen. It was. It was made into a, the BBC made it into a series. Yeah, it's British. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Um, that's a book that like I return to. It like ha- it just has like exactly what I want. It's written so well. The dialogue's so good. The way that they describe like 1890s London is just yeah gorgeous. That's awesome. Yeah. Three people you're kind of clamoring to work with. Melissa McCarthy. Oh, yeah. I Come met on. her once. It was the most extraordinary thing. Is she a kind-hearted person also? She... Can I tell you my Melissa McCarthy story? Please. Okay, great. Um, I would say my three people are Melissa McCarthy, um, Steve Carell, mm-hmm. I really love. Um, there's this woman named Saran Jones. She did Dr. Foster and Gentleman Jack, and she's mm-hmm. extraordinary. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Michaela Cole from Chewing Gum. Really, really love mm-hmm. her. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. God. I know. Fucking clamor It's an inspiring day. time. 
yeah but I think like a lot of like groundlings trained people I look at and I'm just like we have a shared understanding mm-hmm. of like what is funny mm-hmm. physically and beat wise yeah and stuff. I'll tell you my Melissa McCarthy story please great I'm waiting tables I so all right I'm waiting tables at the village idiot it's right by groundlings where I go to school uh-huh the door opens. It's like a Tuesday lunch. It's dead. I never work Tuesday lunch. The door opens out of my periphery. I'm standing at the um, computer punching something in. I see the door open and I go, hey, you can sit wherever you like. And she goes, oh, great. And it's fucking Melissa McCarthy's voice. And I like look up and I look into her face. She's a foot away from me and I go, what are you doing here? I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I just literally, came out. what are you doing here? <laughs> and she just gave that beautiful Melissa McCarthy like grin. And I was like, I am so sorry that I said that. Please sit wherever you like. And I really make an effort if I'm waiting on famous people to like not say anything. Totally. So I was like super chill the whole time. And then I dropped the check. And as I dropped the check, I was like, hey, I just want to tell you that I'm actually waiting on you today because of you. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I saw the movie Bridesmaids when it came out. And your performance shook the fuck out of me. It was how I would want to be a performer and I looked you up and it said that you went to a school called the groundlings and so I looked into the groundlings and I found out that Pee Wee Herman also Paul Rubens developed Pee Wee Herman at the groundlings and I thought oh my god I'm about to turn 30 this is what I want to do with my life cool so I left my partner at the time and I drove to Los Angeles and I joined the groundlings program oh my gosh and I'm in groundlings now and tonight is my very first showcase in Intermediate. And I never work Tuesday lunch, but I switched so that I could do my show tonight. Oh, my God. It was like... Un- That's like the it most was, kismet day. It was unfucking believable So I literally was waiting on her because I saw her in Bridesmaids. What did she say? And I took that job at that restaurant because it was right near Groundlings. That's I worked crazy. at that specific restaurant because of why I came to Los Angeles. And she was like, holy fucking shit. She was like, who's your teacher? I'm going to text him and tell you to pa- tell him to pass you. Spoiler, he did not. Oh, shit. No, he was a dick. But she was like, break a leg. You got this. Like, she was really, loved the Groundlings program. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was mm-hmm. where she really developed all her stuff. And so we were, in, in no way were we talking as equals, but she did give me the respect of being like, oh, you're in the program that I was in. And like, isn't it amazing? How are you doing? How do you feel? Yeah. I get to the theater that night and somebody says, hey, I have a flower delivery for P.D. Gibson. She sent flowers to the theater, remembered my name and sent them with a note from her and Ben and the feller that they were having um, lunch with. Oh my God. So over my desk, I have dried flowers and the note from the delivery. That's pure magic. Isn't that extraordinary? Wow. I love that story. And I really hope I get to work with her someday and be like, I don't know if you remember this, but it was, it changed my life. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I know. What? Of all all the celebrities that we've like had interactions with. That story, I'm like, okay, I cannot continue with rapid fire. That's amazing. <laughs> so let's close out with what is something that you think all creatives listening need to hear? It's usually something that you need to hear yourself. You are such an invaluable piece of this world. 
there is nobody doing what you're doing. There is nobody processing the world through the lens that you have. And the contributions that you have to give are plentiful and valuable. And I think if you keep pushing, if you keep looking inside yourself and knowing that this is what is pushing you to keep making and keep doing and keep collaborating, that that your only job is to just feed that, mm. is to feed the purpose within you and everything else will fall into place or it won't. But inside yourself, you'll feel a stillness that I think is is pretty peaceful. Yeah. So keep going. You're doing your best. We all are. Thank you, PD. This was amazing. Yeah. So good. That Thank so you good so much. You. So good to meet you. <sighs> this is fucking great. I know. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Friends, thank you so much for tuning into the Blank Page Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the show, rate, review, and if you have a friend you think might benefit from these conversations, let them know about it. Spread the word. Let's create a community where we lift each other up, support each other through the shitty times, and celebrate each other's wins. Please let me know if there's any way that I can support you in your journey. Thanks so much for listening, and have a beautiful day.